Welcome to Beholder to No One, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm your host, Nikki, aka the Dragon Queen, and with me today is my guest, James. Um, today, we're talking about world building. Now, world building is a very important tool for the dungeon masters and game masters and gods of this world, um, or any role play game. Um, there are people who do choose to go and use the regular books that are already built with the lore and the world around them, but sometimes it's a little fun to just build your own world from scratch. Now, I do world building in D&D, but I also do it for stories. What about you, James? I do it for, I mean, I, a, but I have, I've built for D&D, but I have never actually played my worlds. Usually I use the uh, pre-built, adventure guides and pre-built worlds of D&D like Ravenloft and all that kind of stuff but I have built worlds so I mean I understand it it's a lot but it is is, there are some very advanced thinking that has to go into or should I say very advanced planning that has to go into what you need to build a world for sure so The question is really, how far do you need to go? There can be some very generic world building, which just starting at the basics, you just, you need a concept, you need a map. Doesn't have to be a fancy big map, just any old map that you can make, and there's hundreds of ways to make them. Um, there's some like you need a generic time period you want some magic systems perhaps most people go with the regular magic systems from the books or the games that they're playing with you need to know who your primary gods are so for maps i've personally like to use random generators online for my maps just because it is so much easier and i don't have to think at all um, depends on how. It all, also all depends on how big you want your map to be and how big your world needs to be. Uh, but random generators are very good for this. I would agree with that. Now, when I built my map for my Monday game, and this is the first time I'm building a world for D&D, uh, for a campaign, I used a random generator and it gave me like three or four continents with a bunch of different countries inside and it gave me some basic naming conventions but I could use that to do with what I please. And once you have the map, whether you do it yourself, there's a really cool method with dice that I've seen where you just throw some dice on the table and see what you get. Um, there are some stuff you need to delve into a little bit more once you get the maps you want to know what is it like there you don't need to know like the nitty-gritty details but what's the climate like what's the biggest landmark what's the main town called is it a city is it a village is it a tribal like area or is it more modern and posh 
stuff like that. Um, what are some other things that you can think of that you should know for the basics of a map? Well, for sort of the basics, you kind of want to know how big it is, like how long it would take you to travel from, you know, town A to town B. Uh, you want to know what kind of travel. Is it walking? Is it mostly, you know, you have to ride a horse from town A to town B or it's going to take you, you know, four days to get there. Uh, you want to know kind of you may not need to necessarily know it right off the top, but you kind of also want to know uh, what is the government like? Is it, is it, you know, a democracy? Is it, you know, a head of state? What it would, you kind of need to know that. You kind of also need to know, you know, if it's a large town, uh, is it guarded? Is it just random militia there? Is it, you know, are the adventurers the town guard? Yeah, and the, the government can kind of go into more advanced mode as well. You can have the generic concept of it, like democracy, allocracy, monarchy, or whatever, but um, to get into the details of it, that kind of leads more towards advanced, I would think. But um, that is a good yeah. thing to know as well that it is advanced but you still want to kind of know what it is you don't need to necessarily know names yet but you kind of want to know what it is a perfect example honestly um so the map that i built for my game and i'll go back to this one repetitively but um i have where they mainly start is a empire and i've discovered while playing with it that it used to be an empire and now it's a fallen empire because the emperor is deceased now this is where my people are currently so i know a little bit more details about this area but across the world on a different continent i know that there are four countries on one continent and i picked four different basic concepts for each of them one is more of a farming community one is more of a um, trade community. One is more of a black market type area. And I based it off of like the red district type thing. Um, so I have those basic concepts in the back of my head. So if the party decides to, these are things that the party may know just from talk or basic knowledge of the world. For example, we live in the United States, so we know some basic ideas of things like England um, or Russia, but we don't necessarily know all the nitty-gritty details of it without going into historical books and doing our research or having lived there. So I was trying to get a generic concept for each area that the average person would know. Um, the other thing really after maps would be your gods. There are hundreds and hundreds of gods in D&D, &D, but not necessarily all of them are going to be necessary for your world. Perhaps your world only worships a handful of them or only worships the Celtic gods or the 
uh, Greyhawk gods. Um, that's your decision as a dungeon master to make those choices. Um, in my world, most of the gods have died because there's a war. There's a 300-year war going on. So I'm slowly picking the 30 to 40 gods that still exist in the world because all the other ones have been killed. Um, what are your thoughts on limiting or focusing on certain gods in a... I would agree that, you know, there there are hundreds of gods out there for the, uh, excuse me, for the D&D world. And you do kind of have to limit it so that you don't have, you know, necessarily, you know, 14 of the same type of god. But you also want to make sure that, you know, a lot of it is represented. That way, you know, you have Bahamut, the platinum dragon, but you also need an offshoot of him so or her for, you know, uh, what is it? Tamet? Tamet? I don't know how you say it. Tiamat. There you go. But, you know, so you have the the two different sides of that. But then you also want to have, you know, other people represented. So, you know, maybe have an elf god in there or, you know, something like that. But I, I understand limiting them. And it is really necessary when you have hundreds of different gods. And you want to make sure you know, you don't have to research every one of them just because one of your players wants to wants to be able to pray to any god at any time. I mean, a perfect example really could be um, look at the Roman gods versus Greek gods. Zeus and Jupiter are literally the same person. They're just one is more Roman and one is more Greek. Now, in D&D, that doesn't really come into play, but I know I've read books like um, the Rick Riordan books, and they actually play a, a part on that, where they have one side that's more Greek and one side that's more Roman, but they're literally the same person the entire time. They just um, became a different god based off the time period so there are certain gods that could have have always been and there are some gods that become something different um and there's some gods that are literally just there for flavor and they don't really matter much like there's so many minor gods um out there i think you should leave it up to your players to make the initial choice on where they want to go so they're not limited. But once you just find out, okay, they're going towards the Greyhawk gods or they're going towards the Roman gods or the Egyptian gods, you can use that knowledge to help determine where your world is going to go. Yeah, I, I agree. Your, your players will help you narrow down the scope of how many gods you might need or how many you, you want in your world. But yeah, I agree that you shouldn't limit your players. You shouldn't limit your paladin when he's first choosing a god. So after gods 
you need kind of like um, to know what your time period is. Now, f most D&D &D games fall into the past, like medieval fantasy type realm, but you're not limited to that. There are worlds out there that are sci-fi or post-apocalyptic or um, you can go in D20 there are books for modern or for futuristic um, steampunk so you just need to know what time are you in is there going to be um, ne necessary technology or are you still going with like the generic fifth edition fantasy type world um, if you go modern you need to know what modern is are you in the 50s are you in the 2000s are you in the 2700s so it doesn't really come into play much in fifth edition if you're just doing like the normal fifth edition with wizard of the coast books um, but there are some new things coming into play with technology from Eberron. Uh, there's the Warforge now, which is technically a technology. Um, they're in the, um, the new, newest campaign, Descent into Avernus. You can have vehicles that are like almost like a car, but they feed off of souls instead of gas. So... You have to determine for your world where do you stand on that. Though I think most people with D&D go towards fantasy medieval times period. Have you ever done something different to that? Uh, I have very rarely done something different. I did uh, what was called uh, it was called Rift. It was a Palladium book and uh, they were very future, very, it was after the, I guess, third world war where ley lines had ripped the world apart and magic was running rampant now. But at the same time, they didn't really delve into uh, necessarily structures of everything. It was, uh, mostly humans versus everything else yeah so. that's fair um i usually go into the the sci-fi-esque settings when it comes to Shadowrun and um mech warrior games now i don't play mech warrior as much but i do play Shadowrun, or i have played Shadowrun a lot more and i love the futuristic post-apocalyptic type world it's one of my favorite settings, um, and I think it could be fun to try it in a 5th edition type game, but um, it would require a lot of additional books and systems out there in order to make it work. Um, now, the last like basic concept I have is magic systems. Now, 90% of the time, probably 99% of the time, I think most DMs just go with, hey, this is the standard magic system from the book. Um, it's very simplistic to do that. The only change I personally made in my game was 
not related to magic it was more related to the gods but there are certain people who like if you cast magic then it's frowned upon or they they want to use your abilities so you have to be cautious um but that's not really a magic system it's just really how magic plays into your world yeah i i've seen that where you know the magic users are on the fringes of society instead of actually being a court wizard or something like that they're they're kind of looked down upon as second class citizens as why you know why are you different than me uh but at the same time i have played with dms who have limited not necessarily the the amount of spells you have but what spells you can take like a lot of dms i've played with have not allowed uh the ninth level wish spell i mean that can break the game so that's fair yeah 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 they've had it where you know you can quest to get an item that can cash the uh uh that that can cast the wish spell, but you yourself could not have it. Um, there are also some changes that can happen, but I think it's more flavor based. Is like I've seen from Critical Role, for example, um, Hellish Rebuke for Jester isn't fire, where mostly it's fire. Hers is ice, and it's purely flavor. And those are some twists that you can make that don't really alter the the realm of magic or the system completely, but it can be fun to allow those sort of alterations to help explain the character's personalities a little bit better. Um, But if you're not going to allow magic or if you're going to limit magic, that's a discussion that has to be had before you start the game completely so that everybody is on the same page as you, um, especially if you're going to limit it or change it completely. Going back to one of your earlier podcasts, uh, I would say that would be for a a session zero or almost, you know, before even you have your session zero. You need to understand that you know, I'm not going to allow this, I'm not going to allow that, and magic would be part of that. Exactly. Now, those are your basics. So going to more advanced type scenarios, here's where we fall into where I say the government, or how your cities are laid out. So let's just start with with government overall. So the basics are, okay, this is the type of government we're going to be, but more advanced would be, how does the government actually work? If it's a democracy, who's allowed to vote? Is everybody allowed to vote or are only certain people allowed to vote? Um, is anybody allowed to go for um, election? If it's a monarchy, how is the monarch decided? Is it decided on bloodline only? Or is it decided on marriage? Or is it decided on whoever has the most money at the time and buys the land? Um, so that all falls under government. And each 
city in each country and each continent will have their own set of rules and laws and government that they have to worry about. I would personally focus on the areas that the party is in and then as you see where they're going have some basic knowledge of each area but don't go too far into details until it's necessary unless you get bored and you're like OCD and have to plan ahead yeah I, I agree with that because if you go too far in and you're just making a government just because you've got time that's that's different but if you're trying to lay out every last little detail of your world before your party even starts your party could wreck your plans that's that's their whole job exactly and who knows if it's going to be tomorrow or like six years from now in game that they decide to go visit that area um the world might completely change by then that town might have been destroyed um but you should know some basics about it and start with just like the little details the overall details that they need to know if they're if they are going to the town what type of laws are there to follow are there certain certain laws that will get them arrested immediately um that are absurd um think about certain things like if you go to another country here you might do something that's polite in america and then once you go to that country it's considered rude so stuff like that would lead towards cultural differences um but that could also play into the law system as well for the government with cultural differences um that's more leading towards what races are there going to be in that area is it any race whatever you want or is it minority or majority going to be elven um it's elven city and it's very rare to ever find anything else or are you going into like an underdark area where you never see a true elf you only see drow and you see kobolds and stuff like that um are there races that are considered minority or lesser creatures than another race in that town and with culture is it polite to bow is it polite to shake hands what kind of general things will the party see when they walk through the town um what are some things that you can think of that would relate to culture and race when it comes to building a city or a country uh, i'd say you know like along your lines of the you know what you're seeing like if you go back to the government is in an elven city you would have you know mostly elves in the the higher government but where does everybody else fall do you have you know dwarves and all of them as even being included in some of the day-to-day jobs or are they just completely kicked out of the city you know shunned and all of that it's it it all really depends on how you want to run your world but at the same time 
you will always see uh, racism in everything, including the D&D world. And that's something that's important to note. Um, while I frown upon racism, obviously, and sexism and all of those things, those things do exist in the world and they will probably exist in your world. How strong it is is a different story. Um, for example, in Shadowrun, I've had players who are very, very racist against non-humans and um, my character was a gnome and they, my character was a female and she he was also sexist and my character hated this character. It was an NPC. Um, absolutely hated the character because he was always very rude but his job was to protect us and he protected us even though he didn't like us sometimes because of our race and gender. Um, with that in mind, there were limitations put in place when I talked to the DM and said, hey, this really bothers me, or da-da-da-da-da, and we had limits where he wouldn't cross certain lines, and those are discussions that need to be had in session zeros, um, but there will be racism, even if it's unintentional, um, in the story. My second city that the characters visited, elves and humans and half-elves are considered the superior race and smaller uh, races like gnomes, halflings, and dwarves are considered minorities and, and slaves or servants. Um, the elves don't even realize that it's something wrong because they've been doing this for 300 plus years. So to them, they're like, that's a servant. Why would we include them? But to the smaller races, when you talk to them, they're like, we're people too. We have every right to vote and make decisions. But in this city, that's not how it works. So those are things that you would need to know. Um, going off of culture, but what you see, but how is the city built? How is it designed? Um, is it very rich in... Um, rich based off their culture or is it more of a shack what is the layout and this kind of goes with maps making too you can dig into deeper maps for your city and more details where are things where are things located like um the temples and the graves and the uh, shops and the houses um you don't necessarily need to have all the little details of who lives in what house and everything like that. I personally would have some basic knowledge of where you know the people will visit. Where is the tavern? Where are the main shops that they might go to? And some details about the people inside of those places. Even if it's just... Yeah, yeah I agree with that. And you really want to know, you know, like, who's the barkeep? Who... Who's able to give them knowledge on what they may be looking for without them having to go completely out of their way. But you want to make sure that you know, you know, the innkeeper, the barkeeper, the the head of the, the temple, or, you know, if there's multiple temples, you know, it all just depends on 
where you believe they'll go first and then go from there. And you might not know necessarily where they're going to go. So just have some ideas of, okay, these are the couple of stores that I would like to have. And then have a name list. Just have a random name list. And if you really are being thrown out, there are plenty of sites that have random generators. And you can randomly generate a character and a shop right then and there. And they will help you out if you need it. Um, then the other thing is with having those things like the... Um, the people who are running stuff and the things that the, M the NPCs of the world, how are these NPCs going to interact with your players? Um, each NPC is going to be different. They're going to, they're not all going to be happy-go-lucky, I'll help you out and I'll help you save the day and you're an adventurer, good job, thanks for protecting us. Some of them are going to be really annoyed that you are interrupting their lunch right now. How dare you come in at 12 o'clock when it is tea time? Or you tracked mud into my shop. That's just rude. So, like, they're going to have their own personas, their own voice, if you can do voices, uh, their own reaction. Some might be a little shady because some might be actually hiding something. Um, but you need to just think about that in the back of your head. Will they react negatively if threatened? I mean, most would, but if they're going to come in saying, give me everything you have and you have murder hobos for players, how are they going to defend themselves? <laughs> And where are the, yeah, where are the guards? <laughs> yeah, that, that's another thing you got to kind of think about in the beginning is, you know, the law system is, you know, you got murder hobos running around. Eventually they're going to get caught. And how, how do you go about punishing them without, you know, necessarily going outside of the game? Because a lot of people are murder hobos. We got a lot of murder hobos in my Friday night game. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not we a murder hobo. <laughs> no, but we do got a, a guy who likes to bite heads off. So oh, we just a little. <laughs> so you need to know but what no. are the consequences of your actions if you're breaking in and breaking and entering into a house or into a store because you want to um, get that fancy magic item that you couldn't afford, what are the consequences of that? Are you just going to get away with it? Or is it kill or be killed? Or are there guards in town? Now, an example is when, from our Friday night game, speaking of, we went into it into a, a shop and somebody decided to intimidate the shopkeeper it was not me not i was perfectly nice <laughs> um they intimidated the shopkeeper by threatening without threatening them for a discount i believe and for some reason the shopkeeper was upset by this and immediately went to go find guards after we left um in my, in my defense he shot me first 
Yeah, I mean, a little bit, but it was like one scratch. Come on now. <laughs> but no, yeah, that's that's what you got to kind of think of. You know, yes, I did threaten him. And now I've got to deal with the consequences that are going to come of that. And that's something you really have to think about when you put in the, the law system is, is there jail time? Is everything a slap on the wrist uh, up to, you know, murder hoboing? Does that automatically mean death? What? Yeah, you can go to Curse what of Strahd, your... for example. In Curse of Strahd in Barovia, you can be put in the stockades immediately and sentenced to death for doing something wrong. So what are yeah. what are That's those not... consequences and how extreme do they go? Yeah. There are some, like, honestly and truly, no matter how much you plan, your, your players are going to fuck mess it up they're gonna do something to make you think on your feet so just have some generic ideas in the back of your head at all times of what you want to do and how you want to react to your players and know your party if you know that they're going to find some clever way to do something you might have to think on your feet a little bit to see okay how are we going to respond to this now, and with, what's that they always say? The rule of cool. If it's if it's cool, you know, give it a maybe chance. Maybe slap on the wrist, but but if it's just downright insane and it shouldn't work, there's there's going to be consequences. For example, it was super cool when we dived off of a building and didn't get hurt because there was no consequences to it. But it was really cool. Just saying. Yes, it was. It was very cool. But so, it would have asked you if you had missed. <laughs> it would have hurt a little bit more because it was like 80 <laughs> or 90 feet. So extreme. Now this, these are things that you should plan for a little bit. Every game has a big bad guy, a big bad end game guy. Um, and those guys or your guilds or your cities, they're all still moving when your players are doing their thing. For example, um, you have a country across, a continent across the world, and there's two countries and they are at war. How long is that war going to go until one of them eventually wins? Or how long will peace talks happen until they collapse or succeed? And what changes will happen because of those things happening? Also, if you have a big bad guy and he is a thinker or a doer, what is he or she doing to change the world as the party is leveling up to get to the point where they can actually go up against them? So... Even though it's not in the forefront of the story, there are things happening in the background and moving parts that the party doesn't know about that you need to consider. Certain things um, that are fun to add into are NPCs the player have met and how have they grown as players or people 
in ha what has happened to them in their cities. Um, people dying off. Maybe there's an NPC that they're friends with, but their NPC is in a city that's going to war and they're drafted. What happens to them? What changes are happening around them? And these things help encourage the story and give a little more depth to it, but also add little blimps of, hey, my past has consequences later in the story as well. Um, have you ever had any situations where you did something as a character and later it came to either bite you in the butt or um, came to fruition then was a success and you're like, oh, I'm really glad I helped that person out in one of your games? Uh, there was a, I believe it was a Thursday night game I played in where we ended up actually helping the uh, head of the guard in the in a town and the guards actually us because I had saved the head of the guard and we ended up being able to call on them in a dire time of need when we needed uh, extra backup to fight a dragon to slay the dragon and save a whole nother town and we were just growing that way and that's always but really cool also, yeah and there was another time when I completely screwed up and killed the wrong guy <laughs> and then we just this was a different game. It wasn't the Thursday game, but it was. I mean, I we ended up killing the the wrong guy. We made the wrong choice, and down the line, it ended up costing us friends, and it cost us se several being able to, you know, gain more magical knowledge that we should have had earlier in the game, but. It just cost us because we ended up messing with the wrong guy and killing him and all of this. So it down the line when you you got to make sure you know the NPCs are right for you as a player character, but you also got to understand that you know the the DM they they have their own plans for those NPCs. There was a situation, in, and this is a play-by-post um, game that I was in, and our team was making the worst decision left and right over and over and over again to the point where we almost died repetitively. And it wasn't any one person. It was all of us making just really bad decisions in a row. But one of the decisions that we made is we weren't being cautious enough, and then we were being too cautious at certain points. Um, but there was a statue and none of us knew what it did and one person decided to touch the statue and purposely fail a wisdom saving throw to see what would happen. And the player got a god in its his head that basically said, I will offer you a boon if you help me. Uh, 
take care of the people that are in my in my um temple well we were already there to clear out the temple of these people so of course the guy's like sure whatever and he's like do you want knowledge do you want power or do you want something else um i forget what the third option was and he chose power now here's the thing never accept honestly like just don't accept power from gods that you don't know it's not a good idea and it wasn't a good idea because suddenly this person was so overflowing with power that their body was literally trying to destroy him. And every time oh, he did... Itself apart from the inside. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. And everything he did was even more powerful. And while that could be really good, even simple things like I cast prestidigitation, or not press, uh, thaumaturgy to make a, a sheep noise turn into... A screaming banshee that hurt all of us psychically and it was just like everything was overpowered and became even more crazy and it was to a point where we could not rest we could not sleep because if he didn't do anything every 20 minutes or so he was hurting and we're just like we're all hurt we're all out of spells we need to sleep and then now we're suddenly drawing attention because we're making all this noise that we weren't making before and there were consequences to these actions um and it just it was it, it just kept getting worse and worse basically but that was like a quick turnaround where there's consequences a, a shorter turnaround was, or a longer turnaround was one time i accidentally uh, threatened a prince of a lizard folk tribe and now the lizard folk tribe is spiteful against my entire town so you know there might be a war later or something um, and sometimes it's as simple as um, one of my favorite stories is from Shadowrun I had a character who started who liked a, a girl and she started dating this girl in the game turns out the girl was the daughter of the irish mafia leader and that somehow led to my character being kidnapped by the chinese mafia and that led to a mafia war between the two factions all because i asked a girl out <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, how did I get here? I didn't do anything. I just asked a cute girl out. What the hell? Oops. So now I forever am known as the gnome who started a mafia war <laughs> in that game. That's funny. But um so yeah, it just you want to you want to know what the NPCs are doing and how they're going to interact with the players later in the game and for long-term games um how players treat NPCs will determine will they have help like James mentioned with the guards in the future will they encourage children to become adventurers and will those children become an adventurer that's willing to help later or will they become a bad guy because they shrugged off the child and ignored them um will the guy that they let go from 
a group of 12 fighters and he ran away and they're like, you know what, it's fine, let that thug go, don't worry about it. Is he going to go in turn find his boss and tell his boss that these group of people are the ones that killed off 11 of his men and that lead to something later? Like, those are things that you should know or figure out or all lead to possibilities in the world that you're building. Um, I think the biggest thing is have a generic timeline for, like, your big bad guy on how long it's going to take them to do things or have their plan, especially if they're a thoughtful person. Um... I don't know the full story for Curse of Strahd, but um, Strahd himself is very smart. He's very, he's very well off and he's very powerful. So he's constantly doing things along the lines as the party is continuing forward. And those actions sometimes have consequences to the party, but not always. So if the party decides, we're going to take two months off to build a tavern in the middle of the city and help them out what's happening in that two months around them that they could have avoided um i mean and along along with that i mean i'm just thinking of you know critical role and percy uh after he left white run uh whitestone or uh Whitestone, sorry. They get a Skyrim now. Uh, Whitestone, the uh, Briarwoods moved in. And they just, they took over and they ended up worming their way in to the, uh, the council. So you got to think, uh, Percy didn't know anything about that until they had a meeting where he ended up seeing them. So he didn't know they were still alive. He knew he knew they were alive, but he didn't know they had gotten this far in their plan. And following on that story also, you have um Vax and Vex, their their dad. He has his own life in his own world in the Feywilds with his family and they all have their own thing going on. And when there was one time when they went and asked them for help but he's like, we're in the middle of stuff. Like, we have this war to deal with. Like, we have these things to deal with. We have our own shit to take care of. We can't help you. Um, and that kind of plays on what would have been different if Vax and Vex had a positive relationship with their dad. Would that have been different? Would that have been, um, we're going to drop everything and help you because you are my children and I will protect you at all costs? Or would it have been the same? Like, you you need to determine how your NPCs will react to player requests later on too. And that kind of plays more on the roleplay side of things because there are players in groups that like to roleplay out everything and go further into details over things that aren't necessarily important to the story but they make the game fun. Um, our Friday game, for example, yeah, my that... character loves to fight it doesn't do anything, but she will routinely go after hours to a local fight club type thing to make money and earn a living to help protect her family. And 
what's happening to her family is up to the DM at all times. There's a risk at all times that the DM one day will say, somebody found her family and they're in trouble. But the longer we take to take care of the, the bad guys, the, the more likelihood there is that they are found and hurt because of my character's actions. So those are things that you can do to add spice to the situation and flavor and just extra oomph and I always liked games that had consequences, honestly, that had something going on. Yeah, it shouldn't just be, you know, for everybody, but there should be consequences to certain actions. Um, what is your <laughs> What is your favorite consequence you've seen in a game? I don't I mean I haven't really played out a lot of the consequences it's been more been behind the scenes uh there was a couple where on a Saturday game I was playing uh we ended up to save I believe it was kidnapped little girl or something and later on down the line, it ended up she became the leader of the tribe. It was like, I think it was, we ended up playing, it was like 15, 10 years down the line in game time that she became the, the leader of the tribe, but she was still young. So she kind of asked for our help, knowing that we had saved her. So she asked us to kind of become the the militia of the the town or the the village she was in so we kind of helped her grow and we saw it wasn't really a consequence it was more of a a treasure that we saw that she became a good leader we were able to help her build the village and stuff like that That's cool. Um, it's always nice to see, like, hey, we save this person, and this is this is what they become because of our actions. Um, I liked that in certain stories where somebody encouraged someone else to become an adventurer, and then the adventurer comes to find them later, and they're like, you took too long to come back, so I became an adventurer on my own. Look what I've become. Um, I think mine is... In my Thursday game right now, we are building a, um, we're building it, we're doing a dragon heist, um, or, yeah, and we have a tavern, that's one part of the story, is you get a tavern, you build it up, you improve it, and my character is very big on befriending the NPCs around her, so she befriended a, um, there's a couple, uh, two males, and they're both Ganassis, and this is in the book. It's a water uh, Ganassi and a fire Ganassi who live next door, and they are, um, I think, blacksmiths. And my character went over there because it's the middle of winter. The water Ganassi is not doing well. He's very cold. He's like literally has to stay by the fire in order to stay defrosted. And he, my character is a, um, 
she does a, her she's a drug enthusiast and herb enthusiast um but she gave him something and my dm let me create these things basically out of scratch but she gave him something that would keep him warm and help him so he could continue to be comfortable and that led to these npcs protecting us later or giving us discounts in us building the tavern like i wanted a giant rainbow bar and now we have a giant rainbow bar because of those interactions um on the other hand negative responses are we were very rude to another person who opened a tavern down the street um and they tend to not be very nice to us at all times for some reason <laughs> for some unknown reason that's so weird um so it's just it's the way we interact with the npcs around us determine how they come and go to the tavern or how they react to us and it's fun because the dm plays a lot of those npcs that we've met or helped along the way or just have been really nice to and they all came to the tavern opening because we were nice to them um my character's love interest in that story is actually technically a bad guy um or not he's not a bad guy but he's not a nice guy and he is made of a lot of money and he has gifted her things um and brought like a giant circus to their tavern to help bring business in because they hit it off and went on a couple of dates or whatever but technically like if you played him properly he is a he's like an evil mastermind sometimes about certain things so it's just fun to see what interactions can change the npcs and it depends on how your play your dms play it um are they more enthusiastic about the the role playing of it or are they more okay here's the next here's the next fight let's move on let's get to the next fight let's get to the next fight i've personally been both of those i find it easier to do role playing when it comes to live games and more easier to do fighting fight after fight after fight when it comes to play by post just because it's so much slower um with live games it's like instant gratification and you're constantly going so you can respond immediately where if it's a play by post you could be waiting for like 12 hours to 24 hours for them to say the next sentence and you're just like oh my god this conversation's going to take a year yeah. let's, let's just move on to the next fight please like let's just move on with our lives um is there any last advice for building a world that you have say you you kind of mentioned it in uh your story that you also got to think of the general uh, weather and how the seasons may affect certain things. Or, you know, are there holidays that something may come up for? Or uh, just maybe create a, not necessarily a full-blown calendar, but 
just a general do you have four seasons do you only have three uh are the the holidays based off of the gods that you have are the holidays based off of you know nowadays holidays something else you need to think of because like you said that that fire genasi in the middle of winter couldn't keep warm but in the middle of summer you know he probably was overheating you never know yeah weather can play an important part on things um especially if like it rains a lot or if there's storms um and that could play on the gods as well if you wanted it to a perfect example is uh what if thor was in your world because he's the only god i can think of off the top of my head right now um and he's really irritated and he just starts causing thunderstorms and lightning storms and just a whole bunch of chaos so it's like you need to know what is happening and why is it happening and is it natural or is it more because of the gods and that adds a kind of fun twist to it and it could also just be magic based um critical role does that a little bit where there are monsters coming out of it's not a spoiler i'm trying not to spoil it um in the second season there are monsters who keep coming into the world and nobody knows why and they're slowly finding out what's happening and it's a man-made magic thing causing it so they're trying to determine why is this happening and for them it's monsters but it could be easily a magic that causes storms um i think the um elemental campaign does that has that issue so there are so many options for world building it's not even funny and if you ever get stuck just ask somebody for some advice or talk it out um, especially if you have any writer friends they don't even have to be D enthusiasts get with a creative person that's a friend and talk out your story and talk out your world and they might come up with something that you didn't even think of it just makes your story so much better um good that's all i've got i mean that's something you just need to think about is you know for some information as well but like you're saying talk to talk to your writer friends talk to uh there's plenty of groups on on facebook uh if you need help just throw a question out there and a lot of people will answer it mm-hmm. may not always get what you need but there'll there'll be an answer somewhere in there for you so that is all the time we have for today i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please make sure to like us on podbean and follow us you can also follow us on facebook um we are at facebook.com slash beholder to no one and you can like us on twitter at beholder to no one um we are trying to get on spotify and iTunes by this episode we should be there but it's either the fourth or the fifth episode that we'll be able to do that 
So hopefully soon we will be able to get that everywhere we need to get it. But you can definitely listen to us on Podbean. And you can also check out our website at beholdertoknoone.com. Thank you for joining me today, James. I appreciate it. And keep staying awesome, guys. Bye.